Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. The Waco History Podcast is sponsored by Brotherwell Brewery on Historic Bridge Street in Waco. Cross the Brazos and Waco, ride hard and I'll make it by dawn. Cross the Brazos and Waco, I'm safe when I reach San Antonio. Welcome back to the Waco History Podcast. Uh, this is an episode that... Um, is uh, another one of those um, infamous uh, centennials uh, that we're, we're having in Waco. Um, 2023 marks the 100th anniversary since the um, execution of Roy Mitchell uh, in Waco, Texas, which is debated. Uh, I think mostly it's a pentultimate public execution right. in Texas. Uh <laughs> And I've got an expert here. No one's spent more time thinking about this uh, story and researching the story more uh, than John Kamenek, who is a longtime member of the McLennan County Historical Commission. He's a retired surveyor in town. He's written, uh, he's pulling out a very impressive 400 page plus uh, manuscript he's written on the Mitchell cases related to Roy Mitchell. And so he is the expert to bring in to talk about uh, this particular case in the story of Roy Mitchell. And so, John, thanks for being with us. Uh, I'm going to ask you to pull that mic a little bit closer, if you would, and just so the folks can hear you well. Mm. Um, it would be useful, you know, folks will listen to this podcast. That I just said a name they have no reference point for, and, th- and that mm-hmm. that's part of why you did this research, I think, is because folks don't understand this I case. do the same thing. I tell people a story, and they, they go, who? Mm-hmm. And then I mention some of the stuff he did. They go, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, if you would uh, give us that response you give when folks say who. Well, I tell them that he was convicted of six capital murders in six different trials, for some reason, the district attorney wouldn't really pin it to him. Nobody else has ever been given six uh, death penalties before like that. Mm-hmm. And the judge that finally uh, did the the um, uh, sentencing, he said, I wish I could hang you for, for all six of them mm-hmm. so that each one, every one would have a little to do with your going away. Yeah. So this was a, a sentencing that was done in uh, early 2023. Well, he had yeah. uh, five trials in March and then another trial in April. Okay. Okay. Um, and so go ahead and tell us the story as you, first off, you spent a lot of time researching this. I'll ask you the question, why? Why did you spend so much time researching this case? Well, at the time I was laid off and I was I would walk down to the, the central library each day and do a little research or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I ran into this woman that lived at 1923 Washington. Her name was Carolyn Edwards. 
And um, we got started talking. Her house had burnt, and I was, I started helping her out there around that and got started talking. And she asked me about the Jesse Washington stuff. Mm -hmm. And I explained what the story was behind that. And, um, and then she started talking about other, other lynchings or, or executions. And I told her about Roy Mitchell. And she said, wait a second, this guy was black and he was a serial killer. Mm-hmm. I go, yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> he, mm-hmm. he, 11 month time claimed to kill eight people. I guess that, that counts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she said, well, has anybody ever written anything about him? And I said, well, there's newspaper articles. There's a couple of magazines here and there, a little article here and there. But I said, they always get it all screwed up. They always say he killed everybody in Cameron Park. And that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. And, and it was all Lover's Lane stuff, and that wasn't really the case. Some of it was revenge killing. Some was just robberies. And so she said, well, you ought to write a book on it. I could, Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I started doing the research and and I every time I'd pull something up I'd go tell her about it and she and the more and more I'd say, Well, this is really pretty interesting and then I got more and more information and I said, Okay, so I put it together. <laughs> so we've done a, a podcast episode and, and folks are more aware of course the Jesse Washington lynching that mm-hmm. happens in nineteen sixteen. And then I think we've referenced on the podcast the Jesse Thomas lynching uh, that happens. Well, that was actually a shooting, but yeah, but, but then the, a, the, the a death incineration. Of, yeah, not 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 a hanging, but he was killed and mutilated in, in a similar fashion to to Washington. And that that case is connected to this case, right? Mm-hmm. So, so if you would kind of as you researched, if you could chronologically kind of take us through what you discovered. Ooh. About it. I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot, and, and you need a 427-page book to, I got to to do all of us. But if you twenty-something chapters in there, yeah. So if you can give us kind of an overview, if you would. Hmm. Well, let's see. Roy, uh, what I did, I tracked his life down to where he was born. He came from Hallettsville. Mm-hmm. His father died when he was nine years old. His um, he was murdered in Victoria, Texas, mm. and Roy's mother had a had him and a, a daughter, and then she had. Then after her husband died, she had a child by a guy named Johnny Washington, and that was Roy's half brother. Then he had. Uh, she married a 60-something-year-old man hmm. who was living with his 90-year-old mother <laughs> and, oh my goodness. and had grandkids as old as, his, as Roy was. He, she married him, but that didn't last very long. And then next thing you know, she's living in uh, Belton, Texas, and that's where Roy was pretty well raised till about 1912. And then he moved to Waco. He 1913, he married Minnie Wilson, who had a, a, a about an eight-year-old child. Don't know who the father was. Mm-hmm. Then he uh, went ahead and I, the first time he shows up in any police reports is as a victim. Mm. He was in a, 
uh, he had a horse he brought down from El Mott to pick up some meat at the square. Some kids joyrided him. Took the horse and went. Hmm. And at the time, you know, there was no law against um, stealing a vehicle for per- for joyriding. Mm-hmm. But horses was another matter. But anyway, he got the horse back, I guess. They never really said. Then he, uh, in 1915, him and Dinky White were at a, a store in what's called Tecla. Tecla is between basically L3 and... Leroy along the, the railroad there. Mm-hmm. It was a store owned by George Enoch. Well, George Enoch, he didn't like George. He was arguing with him, and he, hey, they went there to argue. They said they mm-hmm. argued about uh, was that uh, boxer Jackson way back when? Oh, Jack jo- Johnson. Jo- Jack, Jack Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, they argued about that fight because mm-hmm. he lost. They argued about World War One at the time. And then they argued about uh, George Enoch because he was propositioning all these black women. And going rate was 50 cents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so he was arguing about that. Apparently, George Enoch pulled a gun. And when he did that, he kind of pointed it towards Roy and Dinky White shot him in the hand. Mm. And then George Egan runs off. He's okay, basically. He dies a couple of years later of tuberculosis, though. But anyway, he, he runs off. And Roy and Dinky decide they're going to rob the store now. Well, they got $1.30 and some tobacco products. And then they took off. Mm-hmm. And uh, he ended up getting arrested by George Stiegel, who was the constable, mm-hmm. and Philip Hobbs, who was the uh, assistant, got arrested several months later. And the main thing he was worried about was getting mobbed. Mm-hmm. So they took care of that. And you're talking about the Jesse Washington yeah. thing. Well, he was a trustee in the jail when Jesse Washington was, Stiegel was attacked. was. No, no, uh, Roy was. Roy was a trustee. Roy was a trustee. He okay. he'd been to trial in October, uh-huh. and well, yeah, and but they held him till October. Uh-huh. I mean, and he was when it happened in May or whatever. Yeah, he was there. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so I, he, yeah, he ended up. Uh, Dinky White got fifteen years, died in prison, tuberculosis, and then the. And Roy supposedly got a month on the chain gang, but instead he um, they turned around and said that he had to, I guess they got him for the, the the breaking into the store, and he got a year for that. And they they said that they they were uh, thinking that there was a charge against him in Marlin, which I haven't mm-hmm. been able to find on if there was or not. Mm-hmm. But his draft card in World War One says that he was working on the on the county farm in Marlin. Okay. So or not Marlin, actually a little town south of Marlin by Rosebud. Yeah. It's not there no more. Okay. So then he uh, he comes back to uh, Waco and 
don't really hear anything of him. He got in trouble for stealing three tires one time, inner tubes, mm-hmm. $9 worth of stuff. And he was in, in a fight once, cost him $5. His brother-in-law was in the fight, and they cost him 25 <laughs> So, um, So you don't hear much about him here and there, but he, he worked at a whole bunch of car places. He, and um, handyman jobs like anybody else back then. Then he got the um, the first killings. Well, first off, there was three unsolved murders that nobody really knows if he did it or not. Mm-hmm. They they suspected him. They it could fit him, but then again, there wasn't any evidence, and a defense attorney could get knocked down real quick yeah he goes and he um the triple murders out concord happened mr barker and his son are um mr barker and his wife mr barker's in his 70s his son his daughter's in i mean his wife is um in her 30s and they got a four-year-old daughter they the 13-year-old boy from across the street, uh, Homer Turk, comes over, and they're playing dominoes. Somebody, oh, he goes outside to put the horse up, and somebody shoots him in the face. Hmm. And then the, the wife and the neighbor boy go outside. The, uh, there's two black people, and the four-year-old girl survives everything. She's hiding in the bedroom. She says, they look like Mexicans, but they sounded like black people. Hmm. And that was the, the description. One was bigger than the other. And that was her description. They, um, the little boy started to run. They killed him with an axe. The woman was in the house. Or they took her in the house to get some money. She gave him $3.00. And they killed her with an axe, and then out of remorse or whatever, they put one dollar back in her hand. Hmm. Somebody did. Hmm. Then um, they left, and the next morning, the father across the street comes looking for his son. He finds him still alive, but but he's uh, got uh, terrible uh, head injuries in a coma, mm-hmm. and. He's only able to speak one or two words and never does say who did it or not. And the little girl tells all her stories. Mm-hmm. Um, then a week or so later, a couple of people, uh, black guys are walking down the road and a gin operator sees him. And he has a hunch that they, they had something to do with it. So he goes and contacts Sheriff St- uh, Constable Stiegel at the time. Mm-hmm. They go and they they do the uh, uh, they catch the people on the square there and then they take them and one was Benny Young and uh, not even a functional idiot basically mm-hmm. he, he supposedly had spells and he was illiterate didn't know much of anything mm-hmm. good for toting that's about it mm-hmm. <laughs> Then they, and the other one was uh, Cooper Johnson. And 
somehow they confessed. Hmm. They took him to Watsahatchee. They um, had a trial. They separated them uh, on separate trials. Um, and uh, both were found guilty, but Benny Young uh, got 99 years and Cooper Johnson got a death penalty. Hmm. Of course, now, he never did get hung, but he died a week before Roy did of tuberculosis and syphilis. Okay. He was in the in the poor farm for a while. And also he was in jail with Roy. He was leading a uh, singing, uh, sing-along one time while Roy was in the jail. So they knew each other. Mm -hmm. The question was, later on Roy said that he was the one that did it. I see. He also said that he went to the trial mm -hmm. of both people, and he went to the scene of the crime the day after the murder with a whole bunch of other onlookers. And he um, had nothing to lose. He'd already had five death penalties against him. Yeah. So that one I'm not sure about. Yeah, yeah. It, it could go either way. <laughs> yeah. But he had a lot better confession than – than the other two did. Mm -hmm. His was more detailed. Of course, now he he could talk to him at any time and found things out. Mm -hmm. But uh, John Sheehy, who was well known here, was was their uh, defense attorney, mm -hmm. and a man named uh, Garrett was his helper. Interesting thing about the the Barker family. She died over uh, giving them $3. They called the the, parent, uh, the brother up, I mean the son, and he came down from Fort Worth. He said that he'd gotten a letter saying that it's possible they were going to have some trouble there real soon. Well, about eight years before, Barker had testified against a guy on manslaughter charge, and the guy had gotten out, and his wife wrote a letter to the the Barkers up in Fort Worth told them there could be problems. Mm -hmm. And so that made everybody, that's a red herring there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No longer is it two black guys with a, uh, a, uh, that look like Mexicans. It's now, well, they arrested nine black guys, nine Mexicans that worked in a, a, a wood camp nearby, two white men and one white woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> How? Yeah, <laughs> Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, don't think mm -hmm. they believe little four-year-old. She knows the difference. Mm -hmm. They go ahead and and uh, and while uh, they started searching the house before the the Barker sons got there, found three or four hundred dollars hidden everywhere in the house. Okay. All over the place, behind curtains, behind uh, uh, windows. You, you you name it. There was money there. Then by the time they were done, they had $1,300 they'd found. Oh, wow. And he also had a habit of, uh, he had 160 or $70 in gold in the smokehouse mm -hmm. that he'd polished up. He, they said he liked, loved to polish gold coins. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, so this was when, John? This, this, was, this was in 1922, February. Okay, okay. This is really before... Roy admitted to doing it, but 
later on when he killed William Driscoll, which was in the 1700 block of Barnard Street, right there behind L&M Electronics. Mm-hmm. That used to be L&M Electronics. Yeah. But anyway, he, he killed uh, him there, and he said that, uh, that Driscoll was the first one he ever killed. Mm-hmm. Well, then at the end of the things, then he comes up and says, oh, well, I did do the Barkers too. Yeah. So who you believe? Yeah, you don't know. Yeah. He had a habit of – I've got his, uh, eight, uh, one of his confessions here, and he makes some lies in there. Mm-hmm. And the things, you know, he, he said like he uh, – a watch he claimed he threw in the brasses off the Washington Street Bridge. Well, just before he, he died, he said, oh, by the way, it's in Detroit with that other watch that I gave you for that other guy. Mm-hmm. He he turned in another uh, watch before that. And then the gun that was missing, he did the same thing. A day or two before he died, he, he told them that it was up there in Elmont. And this, he sold it to this black friend of his, Mr. Wesley Erath. Hmm. So, yeah, so there's some mistruths in there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, things that he held back. Mm-hmm. He knew how to work the system. Mm-hmm. Well, I know it was really in spring 2022, no, no, sorry, 1922, spring 1922, where hysteria from murders started kind of setting in in Waco. Um, when, uh, and if you could kind of take us through well, you, those cases. Well, yeah. you had Driscoll. Yeah. And the thing about the Driscoll killing he, um, I have a magazine here. It was done by Ella Marie Farmer. And Ella Marie Farmer was the sister-in-law of C.S. Farmer, who was a district attorney at the time. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, boy, they're going to have some really good information. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they kind of whitewashed things because mm-hmm. Mr. Driscoll was a 60-something-year-old man and she says how his his image was, you know, squeaky clean and everything. Mm-hmm. It turned out, if you look at the divorce decree just a couple a year before that, <laughs> the the wife, not only was she mad that he divorced her, but was mad because he didn't ask her permission first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, do, do we know? Does Mitchell later give a motive for that killing? No. no. Okay. See. That's the thing because uh, when the when he goes to do the the confession, Sheriff Stiegel jumps in and says, "Wait a second, Roy. Let me let me tell you how I think you did it." Mm-hmm. Which it was obvious how he did it. But yeah. He was standing behind the door in the garage. Driscoll drove in. He gets out of the car. He's got his pistol in his hand because he's it's dark and you know he might have money on him, whatever. But anyway. He, he walks towards the door. Roy clocks him with a with an axe, the back of an axe, and then maybe the front. A couple. Mm-hmm. One time they say he got hit six times. Other times, maybe once or twice. But mm-hmm. anyway, throughout this thing, you always get two different paper uh, stories, and then you might even get another eyewitness account from somebody else, mm-hmm. and they vary just a little bit. So I give all three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Well, anyway, he goes and then he wraps him up in a quilt and drags his body into this other shed and covers him with uh, cotton seeds, stuff like that. Steals a real nice shotgun, double barrel hammerless shotgun. Uh, oh, let's see, got a real nice scabbard that was custom made for him. Uh, razor and uh, oh, some I think uh, I forget how much ten dollars. There was talk of a diamond ring, a pinky ring too, but I don't know what if they claimed he had it, but I don't know if if Roy got it or not. Okay. But anyway, the because that's never mentioned again after that. He might have had it on his dresser or something like that, mm-hmm. and they found it later. Well, anyway. The he had a brand new cook there who'd been working there about a month. Now Ella Farmer in her story says that uh, Driscoll and Roy had a fight and that Driscoll had taken the chair and hit Roy with the chair to run him away mm-hmm. from the house. And the reason he was running him away from the house was because the Roy was showing attention towards the for the maid and the maid was separated from her husband and she had all her kids um, I don't know where she was living but anyway she was she had left her farmer husband uh, farmer with an A mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and had left him and had gone to work for Mr. Driscoll well Roy was going there Roy had worked at Driscoll's house he uh, had visited with Hattie Wilson was her name but uh, Mr. Driscoll was con- said that he was concerned that the husband would come around and cause trouble. I see. Well, Mr. Driscoll is a 60-year-old white man with a badge and a gun mm-hmm. in his own home. Mm-hmm. Do you think if a black guy shows up and says, hey, you, I want to talk to my wife, he'd just say, hit the road. <laughs> if you don't hit the road, mm-hmm. here's something for you. Mm-hmm. So, is uh, is there suspicion on Roy in this initial death? In the Ella Farmer story, yeah. there is okay, but he's got an alibi. Supposedly, okay. there was a Albert Brown Cowan was a about sixty year old man, a real estate man, lived at uh, Katie Pace, Places. Uh, rooming house which was a real nice place at 12th and franklin and she had uh, i mean he had one person ella farmer tried to say that they heard his car go by the the uh, concord the barker's house the night of the murder said it was a had a distinctive sound well that was kind of a it wasn't and and she also she changed names for a lot of people she left the real name in for some but then others she changed the names one reason she changed the names is that uh, around that time they got sued a true detective got sued by a a, uh, two criminals in town here frank hardy and will turner Mm -hmm. they they were they said they did something that they claimed they didn't and they were one was able to he got about $2,500. They sued him for 25000 He got about 2500 And then they got overturned, and he didn't get 
get the money, but oh, wow. it's a shame. Couldn't happen better people than True Detective. Mm-hmm. But anyway, she she throws out the name Roy Mitchell in that as being the driver for 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 Mister Cowan, which he was. But then she gets this elaborate uh, uh, alibi, saying that what happened was Roy drives the car into Mister. Uh, Collins garage takes the 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 lock and hooks it on there but doesn't lock it hmm. and then he takes the key upstairs and gives it to Mr. Collin and Mr. Collin goes oh well I got the key so he couldn't have done it yesterday last night yeah you know, I, I got the key yeah you know in the meantime he undoes it pushes the car out drives it away well if this car's got such a distinctive sound mm-hmm. and it's it happened around nine o'clock at night. Got a distinctive sound, supposedly. Supposedly, there's two people involved, two black people. You know, here's two black people pushing a car out of a garage <laughs> on 12th and, and Franklin. Mm-hmm. And the garage, there were several apartments above the garage, too, as well. Mm-hmm. So here you are, two black guys pushing a car out. And uh, then they know, tell how far you got to go because of this distinctive sound that mm-hmm. she's talking about. Mm-hmm. And then they drive off. And now they got to turn around, come back, and push the car back in. How far back do you stop with that distinctive sound and start pushing the car in mm-hmm. late at night? So it's a little, mm-hmm. you know. Was there an arrest made in the Driscoll case? No. no. Never. Dri- oh. no. Okay. There was a. Uh, and for a long time, there was, they they didn't suspect any black people either, because they said that they didn't think a black person would would treat a dead body like he did, mm-hmm. touch it as much and everything. They thought they were too superstitious. Mm. Well, you know, mm. that's good for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they say uh, whoever did it um, apparently was. smart and was able to hide the evidence and all that mm-hmm. so they figured it had to be a white guy they underestimated yeah, right yeah. and and oh roy writes a note and leaves in his pocket in driscoll's pocket says this to teach him to mess with my wife oh <laughs> wow so yeah driscoll's family i mean people well had to be a white woman yeah there's no way well, it wouldn't be the first time that yeah. somebody taking. And why did was she a new, new uh, person working there? Yeah, I mean, they talked to the farmer maid, but they didn't really a former cook. But nothing came out in the paper about that. Mm-hmm. So you know, there was oh I forget how many. There was seven or eight. There was tons and tons of people that were were associated with law enforcement that went and, at his funeral. Mm-hmm. There was like 20 honorary pallbearers and mm-hmm. then seven regular pallbearers. Stiegel was one of the pallbearers. Mm-hmm. So like I said, when the time came, he comes up and goes, hey, let me county attorney. And they said, no, there's no way we ever get a conviction. Why mm-hmm. even try him? Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to, uh, you know, he he was acting like, uh, with the knowledge he had at the time. 
Well, it's also the climate, the racial climate right. of the period. Yeah, no right. one was going to convict a, a white man for yeah, yeah, for thinking that he's white because yeah. you know, as far as he knew, you know, his girl said she did. He did it. <laughs> yeah. But now, uh, in the, I think, I think it was the observation with uh, where Foster from the Citizen newspaper. I think he. Or it could have been Bill Kerrigan that had the, the story about saying why she she said what she did. His side of the story, I think, was that the the um, she was surprised to see Jesse Thomas there. She supposedly mm-hmm. knew him or something like that and saw him. I think Bill Kerrigan makes that argument yeah. in his book. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that that's what that meant. Yeah, Bill Kerrigan's yeah. dad was my school teacher at TSTI and uh-huh. uh, Bill was a summer helper for at H&B, H&B construction for a while with, with me one time. Yeah, so, and then he uh, went on to bigger and better things. Yeah, so Bill <laughs> Kerrigan's book, uh, Making a Lynching Culture, mm-hmm. uh, is, is really an important book to document a, a lot of lynchings in Central Texas. Well, John, I may break for part one. That's a good point to break for part one. Can we do that? That's fine. Uh, I've got. (laughs) All right. We'll we'll pick up part two uh, next time. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.